Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and producers of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the producer Ken Davenport. His current show, Once on This Island, gave the Tony Awards its biggest surprise this year when the well-liked underdog walked away with the trophy for Best Revival of a Musical. For his newest Broadway outing, Getting the Band Back Together, opening this summer at the Belasco Theater, Davenport is both the producer and the writer. He's here in the studio with me to talk about Tony wins, producers' perspectives, and the goat that walked the red carpet. Hey, Ken. Thanks for sitting down with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, congrats on the Tony win for once on this island. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm still floating a bit. Well, that that show, like, has been really well-liked since it opened, but I feel like everybody on Broadway sort of was sort of, or a lot of people on Broadway were expecting the win to go to one of the other more sort of traditional classic musicals, right? Probably My Fair Lady was what we were thinking. Um, What... How did Once on the Island pull off the, the upset? What what tipped it in your favor, do you think? Well, that's a really good question. And look, I, at many times during the last several months, you can count me as one of those people that thought it might go the other direction. And I'm a pretty optimistic uh, and positive guy. You know, it's. Uh, I think we're seeing a real change on Broadway in, in general. I think actually this, not only Once on the Island, but I think the band's visit win, I think... Um, the success of Dear Evan Hansen, I think the success of Come From Away, I think we're seeing a real embracing of unique and original ways of telling stories, not only by the audiences, which are coming out for shows that we never thought that we would come out for, right? Including Come From Away. I mean, I had... I had those producers on my podcast and they were like, we're doing a 9-11 musical. They were admitting it. Like, this is going to be hard. (laughs) So, uh, but they're coming out. And I think what we saw, you know, um, what, a couple Sundays ago now was people standing up and saying, no, no, we're ready for for new and original, unique ways of telling stories. Yeah. And what effect uh, has the Tony win had on the show? I imagine sales were really good the next day, for instance. Yeah, it's quite uh, amazing what happens. And it's not only the next day, it's that moment. Like we track it hour by hour. And my general manager, literally uh, an hour after we uh, we won, he said, sales have just jumped exponentially based on what we would normally do on a Sunday and at 1030 at night. Right. right. So people are watching. And nowadays, actually, People watch and also have a laptop nearby, right? So they they watch and buy now probably more than they used to. Did you notice an uptick also uh, when the show's performance segment was on? Does that influence as well? Yeah, without a doubt. Although, you know, historically, you know, my 25 years now of doing this and watching these Tony Awards and watching them impact box offices, I tend to uh, see that people want to take in all the performances because, look, people don't buy tickets for 10 shows at once. So the Tony Awards, when you're performing on them, I find it really not just about being a great performance. It's trying to be the best performance of the night so you're one of the two or three shows that they buy tickets for. Everyone keeps a list in their mind of the shows they want to see. That's your chance to get higher on people's lists. 
And so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the performance segment for Once on this Island. You did something a little unusual with that uh, with that setup. You put the audience around it in the round, um, just like the way the show is staged in uh, Circle and Square. But tell us about how that came about. Well, of course, that's one of the really unique ways of how we tell the story and what makes our show different from all others, right? So the first thing I said to the producers of the Tony Awards was, you got to let me shoot it in the theater. you got to let me shoot it in the theater. And they said, no, absolutely not. No, no, no. It's not what we do. We present a live experience in Radio City. Uh, then I asked again, and they still said no. Uh, and then they said, but wait, Ken, stop jumping up and down and, and slamming your hands on the table. We really want to try to figure out how to embrace what you're doing at Circle on that stage. So I have to give a huge shout out to Ricky and Glenn, those producers who've been doing it for so many yeah, years. They're and, the producers of the Tony Awards. Yeah, they won they, many Emmys for their work on it. They do a marvelous job. And, and they really said, like, no, we, we want to figure this out. We want to figure it out. So they sat down with us. And I just kept saying, can I have sand? Can I have water? Can I have the goat? Can I, and they, yes, 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 we'll figure it out. I, I the, the minute I saw the water, I was like, are you kidding? Did that happen? <laughs> yeah. We just threw everything at it. The rain, yep. we were like, I want to create the entire world. And, and thankfully, because they love the theater so much, uh, and, you know, I think they were fans of the show as well. They were like, no, we, we want to show everybody that at home. And you mentioned the goat, who also you walked the red carpet with. Congratulations. Yeah. Sparky's <laughs> yes. one heck of a date, let me Spar- tell you. I imagine, yeah. That's, uh, the food budget's high for a date with Sparky, right? That's Yeah. <laughs> so is the cleaning bill on my tux, because I, it, was like, <laughs> it was like packed with snacks for Sparky. <laughs> Where did Sparky sit during the ceremony? When uh, Just backstage? Sparky or? had to prepare. I mean, because, I guess that's true. Did yeah. warm-ups. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, he's got a long process. He's very method. Right, right. How was, in terms of choosing what number you wanted to do on the Tonys, why was this one the one you did? You did uh, Mama Will Provide. So it's a great question because it's, uh, you know, you are trying to win that night in terms of the, the performance. What does, you have to ask yourself, which I do as a producer all the time anyway, uh, it's my job to say, what does my audience want to see? Like, what are they really craving that will also then motivate them to move, right? right. So, um, and we had a big discussion about this because there's the idea of what we want to present sometimes, and then, which is not exactly what may sell the show best. So, and then there's always the montage argument, right? There's like, we'll do 17 songs. We'll just chop, we'll showcase every single actor. and We'll do these things. And those are, it's, although this year, actually, I felt a couple of the shows that did montages, they came off pretty well. I would agree with that, but I, yeah. I feel like they are more challenging than, uh, yeah, because people, look, songs are written to be three and a half minute stories. Right. Right. And when you chop them up, they just don't tell a story as much, right? But I thought Mean Girls, I thought their their montage. Yeah, that worked. It worked almost didn't well. even feel like a montage, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, felt like high school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, right. So, uh, yeah, we had lots of talks about that. And then give credit to the music team and Michael Arden and Stephen uh, and Lynn for crafting this little bit of a prologue because we felt it was important to tell the story because not a lot of people know what the story is in Once in the Silent. They know Carousel. They know My Fair Lady. They don't know uh, Once in the Silent. So Michael has this beautiful prologue in the show, so we put a little bit of that uh, into Mama. This is Michael Arden, the director. Yes. And uh, into Mama Will Provide, the showstopper. Right. 
But if you noticed, we inserted this little moment for Haley to give right. her a moment to, to belt like only Haley can. Yeah, Haley Kilgore was the, is the lead actress and uh, was nominated for a Tony that night. Yeah. Um, yeah, it played great. I, I thought it looked great, too. Thank you. So, yeah, we yeah. were very happy with it. Yeah. I, it. Literally, I was like, you know what? If we don't win, I'll be happy with I'm, that. I mean, and it is the showstopper of that show. It's, it's quite satisfying. Yeah, <laughs> Alex delivers a performance that is, is unlike any other's. And so after this Tony win, how does your prognosis, how has your prognosis for the show's lifespan changed? Has it at all? Oh, absolutely. You know, look, we, we had a significant uptick in the next 12 hours. The ball is still up in the air. You could see that in the grosses that were announced last week. You'll see it again this week. I expect us to have a very, very strong summer. The touring interest has spiked. You know, it, there are these residual effects that happen when there's something, when there's that many people watching. Yeah. Uh, and then you get the ultimate good housekeeping seal of approval. Right. I, you know, what was going to be my next question is what doors beyond Broadway a Tony win opens? I mean, you mentioned the touring interest, for instance. Does it uh, attract international interest as well? It does. All sorts of interest. International interest, filming interest, like mm-hmm. everything kind of pops up. And it, it's always funny because people end up emailing me like, I'm interested in this show. And then I say, do you remember when I talked to you about it a year ago and you didn't return my call? <laughs> Uh, so there's always that. Those are fun. Yeah, I imagine. That's <laughs> like, yeah. So as Once on this Island is happening at uh, Circle on the Square, you've got on the other side of Times Square another show about to start fairly soon, uh, getting the band back together. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how it came together. First of all, it is neither the band's visit nor the boys in the band. Correct. It is, it is definitely... Uh, you don't want to mistake and get tickets for <laughs> for the wrong show on either one of those. <laughs> um, actually, get tickets. But we'll, you'll have a great time at ours, yeah. no question. Uh, look, getting the band back together is one of those shows that it was created in the same way that I created the first couple shows I ever produced. Right. The Awesome Eighties Prom. I had Ultra this, Boys, right? Ultra Boys. Yeah. I had these ideas that came right. out of my head, and then I brought together teams to execute them. Right. Uh, getting the band back together, I actually couldn't find a writer to do it that I was happy with. And because I find that playwrights usually want to write their own ideas. Mm. It's very hard to bring them an idea. They're like, I'm working on 17 of my own. Like, so it's unlike film. We don't, we don't pay them a quarter of a million dollars to write an idea. Right. Right. So I had this idea and I said, well, I can't find a writer. I will do what I did on the Awesome Ladies Prom and I'll put 17 people in a room and we'll improvise and we'll see what happens. And instantly all this fun and exciting unique things started to happen in that room so i started to write them down and we improvised some more and we put a story together and next you know we had a book of a musical and then we inserted songs and that and so tell me how you first of all for people don't know who are grindel shots who you co-wrote collaborated on the script with is that yeah so what i did i auditioned so i had in my head this idea a 40 year old guy loses his job as an investment banker has to move back in with his mom in new jersey first day back home he runs into his best friend who he hasn't seen in 20 years who says dude you're back in town you know what we should do we should put the band back together fun right and they challenge their arch nemesis from high school to a rematch of the battle of the bands so i had that idea i did a little character breakdown there's the investment banker there's his best friend i'm gonna make him a math teacher maybe there's an Indian dermatologist, right? There's a 16-year-old Jewish kid who wants to be a rap star, like a, a band of misfits, a Bad News Bears, underdogs. I'm a big fan of the underdog story. Tamoon is an underdog. Yeah, absolutely. So I had this, on this island was an underdog. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of that concept. So I had these list of characters, and I cast actor slash writer, creative people 
to play those types. Didn't audition them vocally because that's not what we were looking for. And then I cast them. Sebastian Arcellus, you know, was one. Um, there, uh, he can couple, sing, luckily. Yes, he can sing. <laughs> um, Sarah Salzberg, who collaborated with me on another show, um, a couple of shows, was another. Mm-hmm. Like a crew. And then Sarah Salzberg worked on... Um, 25th annual Putnam County yes, Spelling Yes, she was one of the originators yeah, she's one of, of that. The original she wrote uh, Miss Abigail's Guide to Dating, Mating, and Marriage with me, an off Broadway show, small off Broadway show. Oh, wait, we I did. hadn't clocked that. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. So this little crew, and we, again, improvised it to life, and the next thing you know, we had a musical. Right. And so now, how long ago was this? Because the first production of this was at the George Street Playhouse, what, four or five years ago? Yeah. So the original idea, I found my notes, were, was in 2009. Okay. And we. Kicked it around for about a year and a half of improvisational sessions and all sorts of things. Then we did. We looked for a composer and we found a great one in Mark Allen. Yeah, how, how'd you find him? So I get a lot of submissions, as you can imagine. And, and what usually happens with submissions with me is we often don't find shows that we want to produce. That's like panning for gold, right? But we find lots of writers that we're interested in. So we had a short list of writers that we wanted to talk to if we ever had a show. And we went out to them and we said, well, you spec a couple songs. And he came back with literally the title tune, getting the band back together, which if you go, we have this music video right now. Yes, you do. You have a video yeah. on your website. Yeah. And it's, um, it's to that tune. It's the same right. tune that he specced is still in the oh, show. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so why, after George Street, why, tell me about the journey between there and here. And why was, you've done a lot of shows off-Broadway as well. Why was Broadway the place for this and not off-Broadway? Well, vice versa? the, look, it's a big show. I mean, it's, you know, we have 18 people in it. There's a, it's, it's not a. Oh yeah, 18 is big. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not a small show. I think there's a tendency and maybe that's because I started off-Broadway. People are like, oh, you're doing it off-Broadway. It's like, no, this is a big, big traditional musical comedy actually so it couldn't have survived economically yeah. off broadway and right. i actually believe it's a big broadway idea right. the the things that work off broadway now are very unique things things that can't be seen on broadway are the things i think that should be done off broadway that's interesting that's a that must guide your thinking in terms of what your next off broadway shows will yeah exactly i only be, right? look for things that couldn't appear on a broadway stage they wouldn't make sense there right and what do you think of the timing of opening in the summer? It used you, to be a thing that wasn't done, and now actually a lot of people are doing it. Yeah, now we, this, this season there's like three or four shows yeah, in the yeah, summer. Uh-huh. Uh, it's crazy. It's a new booking period for the theater owners. They're very happy about that. It is. I think that. that's right. <laughs> it's like found money for them. Yeah. It's like uh, renting your house when you're away on vacation. <laughs> so uh, it's an interesting time because I lo- you know getting the band back together feels like a summer movie. Right. Um, so I think that's great. You get uh, more attention interestingly enough, from the press, because you're not opening in the spring when there's 27 shows opening. That's right. Right? You're much more inclined to like, oh, right, I haven't seen a musical in a month. I'm excited to go see a musical (laughs) instead of like, oh, God, not another one. Yeah. So there's that. Um, It's an interest. There's more tourists. That's good. There's less New Yorkers. That's not so good because they're the early adopters. So I will, you know, I'm sure that we will, like most summer musicals, Shows that open in the summer will see a slower climb to where they want to get to because the traditional early audience isn't here. Doesn't right, right, yeah. And so, a lot of a lot of uh, producers try and tend to sort of keep the divide between sort of business and creative pretty separate. Like it's very rare to have a producer write to produce the show that he has written. What's your philosophy on that? Why doesn't that a 
why doesn't why don't you apply to why don't you subscribe to that theory? Uh, you know it's so funny because i think that you know i tend to think of myself as an entrepreneur i'm a business owner right so no one would ever say that about other in other industries you know steve right. jobs wanted to create an computer he created a computer and then he ran the company that sold the computer right so in other industries being an entrepreneur means coming up with an idea creating that product and then selling that product (laughs) so it's only in our very you know oh people have to do this job or this job or this job and i've written actually since i was about six years old i've written three off-broadway shows i've written a blog for years i've written books a whole bunch of stuff but I don't, cla- I don't, I just don't classify myself that way. I just think of myself. I, I've always said I want to create theater. Sometimes that means writing it. Sometimes that means supporting the the vision of Michael Arden, who who said to me, "Let's do Once on this Island." I said, "Oh my God, I love that show. Whatever you want to do, I'll do." I just want to be involved in that creative process. Right, right. You uh, you mentioned your blog, The Producer's Perspective. You've you've sort of cultivated not only a brand for your shows, but a brand for kind of yourself as a guy who talks about Broadway and the issues facing producers and other creatives involved in, in Broadway. What, what prompted your interest in sort of, you know, being that, having that kind of public persona? I love to talk about Broadway and I love to talk about the theater and the challenges and people, I ran out of people to talk to about it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like people were like, okay, okay, Ken, you know, we've heard you about this issue. Uh, so I wanted to see if there were other people out there like me. I mean, I wanted to see if there were people that were interested in it. So I just started talking about it. I actually remembered what it was like to be me about 10 years before I started the blog and wanting to connect with other people and wanting information that this industry at the time and still to this day is just very guarded about sharing. Right. We're a very closed door industry. And it was my mission. Can to you give us an example? Like what, what in particular do you feel like? Uh, is kept behind closed doors. Well, look, there. You know, it wasn't. We we publish the grosses, of course, we do. But that comes up all the time. Like maybe we shouldn't do that. Oh yeah. Um, we don't talk about marketing. We yeah. don't. We do. You know, I, when I was buying a ticket to shows when I was in high school, we didn't let people choose their own seat. We just said you got an orchestra seat or a mezzanine seat. People yeah. don't do postmortems in this business about like. You know, what went wrong with that show? Let's talk about it when it don't work. Um, Interesting. It's like protective of secrets. And I don't. And also people told me to stop blogging, by the way. Really? Oh, yeah. Because you would would jeopardize your relationships with people? Or what what was the thinking? Literally some some very high ranking people that I respect, some that I consider mentors that, that said, you should not do that. Stop doing it. One, you're giving away your own secrets. You're telling people how you're making the bread, the recipes. Uh, and two, I, I don't know. I think they thought that, you know, Broadway would, like if we collapse. showed people, that yeah. it would collapse. And I, the fact of the matter is that when I started blogging because I saw a trend with the rest of the world and that transparency and how to how to do things, the YouTubeization. That's why people go to YouTube, right? right. How do I tie a bow tie? How do I bait a hook? Right. Uh, that people were going to be fascinated with that. And, and um, I think you give people, again, my whole philosophy is what does the audience want? And there's a whole bunch of theater people out there that wanted to know how we, what goes on behind the curtain. If you right. And that transparency, that interest in transparency seems to extend to a lot of the other things you do. Uh, sometimes 
you are among you were the first person to do something like crowdfunding on Broadway for a Broadway show, which you did for Godspell. Um, that's also about kind of the transparency of it and kind of the opening up of the access to, of the access to it, right? Yeah, I had this theory that a whole bunch of people would be interested in investing in Broadway shows if they only knew how to do it. Yeah. And with that, we could talk about how to do it. Or the other example of the transparency, you know, I, I and actually it's Variety that used to do this, mm-hmm. used to do the hit or miss, oh, yes. hit, hit or, or miss. flop, yep. like green or red. Yeah, miss, miss, right. not flop, <laughs> miss, hit or miss. And we read it as flop, of course. No, obviously. That's, and, we all meant it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And look, I, I loved it in a strange uh, way, but at the same time, how the public perceived that is you made money or you lost it all. And that was the, I used to go to investors and they used to think, well, I'm going to make money or I'm going to lose every penny. And that's actually not the case. Right. And I, with my production of Macbeth, the Alan Cumming one man Macbeth, I published a blog afterwards saying, Hey, we didn't recoup. So variety would call us a miss, but we got 91% of everyone's money back. And I was very public with that. Right. And that was a six performance a week schedule, only 14 weeks, and a so-so uh, review from the New York Times. Right, right. And so I was trying to tell the public, look, we got 91% back, and we didn't do anywhere near what we could have done if right. we, Alan didn't have to go back to The Good Wife, or right. who knows if Ben had reviewed it and said a chart, like the variables right. could have increased it. So. In my mission to amplify that Broadway is a could be a good place to be involved, mm-hmm. I try to show the transparency of it. Was that crowdfunding element of Godspell a success in your mind? What, would you do it again? Well, I don't like to repeat myself, um, first. And two, yeah, it was a success because we got over 700 people invested in that show. Have any of them come back to you as yes. investors and other yes. productions? Cool. Yes, many, many. Great. It sounds like it worked. Then. Yeah. Listen, it was, again, it, it got people involved in the theater. My mission, the blog, the podcast, the board game that I have is all about getting people to talk about the theater more. Right. If they're talking about the theater more, then maybe they'll want to see the theater more. Maybe they'll want to invest in the theater, produce it, or write a play themselves. Right. I just think the world is a better place with more theater in it. So whatever I can do to get people talking about it. And so you started out in general management. Yeah. And that's still a piece of your business, right? And for a while, you had a ticketing element in your business that I now that I know you just sold to the John Gore organization. Like, how do all these pieces fit together for you in terms of uh, the work that you do? So, uh, I my core of my business is creating and producing Broadway musicals, right? And what I started to do was assemble things that could support the core, and hopefully, in the downturn or downtime, because I can't decide when to produce like David Merrick could decide when to produce. Because the theaters aren't available like they used to be. Right. I can't walk into the Schubert's office and say, I want to do this play. And they say, here are the keys to the Golden. Right. Go for it. It doesn't work that way anymore. So I have to plan for the times when I can't produce. So I developed other businesses. And that was advice I got from a, another mentor. Uh, I planned other businesses to support the core. Rehearsal space, all sorts of things. But I, admittedly, I got a case and still have it of entrepreneurial ADD. And started to do all sorts of things. And right now, what you're witnessing is me saying, Ken, what do I want to do with the rest of my time on Broadway uh, now that I've reached the middle age of my career? I've been doing this now for 25 years. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on finding my Hamilton. So I got to get rid of the group sales business. Right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> 
what are the you mentioned you've been doing this for 25 years what are the biggest challenges uh, facing Broadway right now to your mind mm. there, so there's many challenges facing us but it depends on the perspective that you have hardest thing for a producer to do right now is get a theater it's not raise money it's not even marketing anymore it's mm. get yourself a theater that's a challenge yeah uh, and actually a feel for the theater owners because they're pulled in so many different directions now more than ever. And while we, it's easy to say like, oh, to be a theater owner, how great would that be? It's tough to try. You got a lot of friends out there that that want one of those yeah. spaces. Um, certainly the diversity angle is something that we're, that's, um, we're all challenged by and trying to figure out how we accomplish it. How, how we integrate, how we do all these things that we want to do uh, and are just catching up on. Luckily, we're ahead of some other industries. I think we're ahead of Hollywood, but we still got a lot of work to do there. Pricing is a big issue mm. because here's, you know, I talk to a lot of audience members. And while variable pricing has been unbelievable for certain shows and therefore for investors, which is good, um, there is a rumor out there that all tickets are $800. Right. And even at Hamilton, all tickets are not $800. And this is something that I talk to members of the press like yourself about all the time is like when you talk about like, oh, Hamilton tickets are this or Dear Evan Hit, that's actually not the case. Every show is scaled. Right. Everyone has balcony tickets that are cheaper than their work. The best seats are $800. Okay. The other thing is that, look, if you want a cheap ticket to a Broadway show, you can get one. Right. It may not be Hamilton. But it's the same thing of, and I'm going to use a, a, a retail example. You want a handbag? You can go to Louis Vuitton and get a handbag for $5,000. But if you just want a handbag, a really good one that will survive and do the job, you can get one for 100 bucks. Right. There are tons of shows out there that you can get $99 tickets to, $50 tickets to, and this perception right. that everything's $800 is a problem. Right. Yeah. What are the brightest bright spots? Broadway is cool again, you know, and it's it started with the seeds that Disney planted in the early 90s. I don't think people realize with the musical, the yeah, animated musicals, right? With yeah. Beauty and the Beast, yeah. I don't think people realize that the kids that were dragged to Beauty and the Beast then are now old enough to actually have kids. Oh yeah, I feel like Mencken and Ashman are like wholly responsible, or yeah. quite a bit responsible for. Uh, you know, the crowds coming out to Broadway and yeah. even some of the creators like, you know, Bobby Lopez and Christian Anderson Lopez will talk about how much they loved, you know, the little mermaid. And they started the revolution. Yeah. We have more families going to Broadway now than ever before. It was started by Disney. And then of course, all the things that happened from the, the telecasts on NBC to American Idol, to Glee, to all the things that have happened that have just made Broadway cool again. And then of course, Hamilton being the cherry on top of that. And then now Harry Potter here and, you know, people have thought, oh, Broadway's been booming over the last couple of years. It, it's about to experience another one because, as I say, with you know, when Hamilton opened, there weren't kids in the Philippines wearing Hamilton T-shirts. There are kids right now in the Philippines wearing Harry Potter T-shirts and Frozen T-shirts. Right. They're going to want to come here. Right. Yeah. What producing can be kind of a nebulous thing to many to many outsiders minds um and particularly for people who are maybe interested in getting involved how what advice would you give to aspiring producers 
Well, first of all, don't think that you can't do it. I mean, there is this, oh, producers have to be uber wealthy people and they wear top hats and they're super fancy society people and they go to Sardis all the time. You're wearing a top hat right now. Right now. I mean, you are. And tails. (laughs) And my driver's out front. It's none of that. None of that. I am, you know, not a well, I didn't come from some wealthy family. I didn't make $100 million in another industry and say, let me go play on Broadway. No, I started as a PA getting coffee and turkey sandwiches for Richard Chamberlain and I worked myself up. Richard, this was Richard Chamberlain for um, Sound of Music? Is that right? No. For, I'm older than that, Gordon. Uh, My Fair oh, Lady. Oh, My Fair Lady. Oh, 1993. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So it, you know, it's, um, it took me those 25 years to get that Tony Award. Uh, it's, it takes a long time, and I'm not done yet. I got a lot of stuff that I want to do. So um, I'll, I, I say the same advice that Hal Prince told me in 1996 when I said I want to be a creative producer. He said, produce something, anything. I don't care what it is. Do a Shakespeare reading series in your dorm room if you want. Get Find a new playwright at NYU. There's a zillion of them there. Say, give me a play you wrote. I don't care if it's good or not. Get actors in a rehearsal room and read it. Like It's amazing what happens when you just start the snowball rolling down the hill. Even out of things that don't work, something good usually happens. Maybe it's the next play that the playwright writes, or you meet an actor that ends up being a star. Whatever it is, just get with other people and do something. I think that's a great place to end this. Thank you, Ken. It's great to talk to you. Likewise. That was Ken Davenport, the producer of the Tony-winning revival of Once on This Island, and the producer and writer of the new musical Getting the Band Back Together, starting performances July 19th. The next episode of Stagecraft will be released in two weeks as we go to a bi-weekly schedule for the next three months, resuming our weekly schedule at the start of October. But in the meantime, there's still plenty of theater to talk about, so in two weeks, I'll sit down with Tatiana Maslani, the Emmy-winning star of Orphan Black, who's making her New York stage debut in Mary Page Marlowe. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.